Wonderful. Let's get our Bibles out. It's going to be a fun night in the Word of God tonight. Guess where we're going to be? Esther. Good guess. Turn to the book of Esther and your devices. I'm going to start you off with a blessing, then we're going to welcome some people. It is a pretty traditional of us to speak a blessing or two on the holidays that we find in the Bible, of course. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brought miracles for our forefathers in those days and at this time. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who's given us life, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this season. Amen. The Lord is doing great things. Even in the midst of all of our challenges in the world right now, the Lord is continuing to do great things. We're going to be hearing more testimonies. And if you have a testimony, the Lord has broken through in a major way in your life, please let us know. We want to give God glory for what he's doing in your life and in the life of the community. Welcome everybody to the house tonight. We're so happy you could be with us. As you can tell, people are becoming more and more comfortable to come worship. So welcome back, some friends we haven't seen for a while. Welcome everybody watching online tonight, King's Community Live, Facebook Live, uh, all around the world, YouTube and other platforms. We welcome you to Jerusalem. It's not quite Purim, but it's almost Purim. And if you don't have a place to celebrate this Wednesday or Thursday, check in with all of our community groups as each one is doing a special theme uh, these days. Hallelujah. We have some special friends in the house. First of all, let me just say thank you to our friends from Denmark. If you, are you here from Denmark tonight? Anybody here from Denmark? There you are. Thank you guys for helping. Listen, we need to thank them, not only for being here, worshiping, being friends, and, but they came early today. They helped us physically with their hands. They helped us to clean and paint and repair and do a lot of things in a couple of our rooms today. So thank you guys so much for doing that today. We sure appreciate you serving us, serving the kingdom in those ways. We have a couple of honored guests today. Uh, they're friends of mine, they're mentors of mine, they're friends of ours, King of Kings community, friends of King of Kings network. All of us need to say thank you to two special friends. First of all, Pastor Don Fento is here tonight, uh, former pastor of Belmont Church in Nashville, Tennessee, the founder of Caleb Company. Don, great to see you tonight, brother. I see you there. Bless you. Through all the glared lights, I can see you. And another dear friend of mine, Pastor David McQueen, is here from Beltway Park in Abilene, Texas. Bless you, Pastor David. Great to see you, brother. Uh, somebody's with you. Who is, is it Jeanette? Miss Jeanette, good to see you tonight. Bless you. Can't wait to hug you guys after the service. Thank you for being here. Oh, man, we're going to start having groups and visitors here pretty soon. So you better, you better take in a little intimacy here before the wave of the new people get here. You got a couple of more weeks. They're on their way, I promise. I've been getting calls. Hallelujah. Let's get to the book of Esther. Let me tell you where we're going to end up tonight. Where we're going to end up at the end of this few minutes together is we're going to take a time of corporate prayer together. Sometimes we do the individual prayer, but tonight I sense that it was, is an opportunity to move into corporate prayer. So just have that in your mind and in your spirit. There's a lot of things going along around the world right now, right? Of course, we all know what's happening. We got Russia. We have Ukraine. Okay, uh, those of you that are in tune with other parts of the Middle East, you know that the 12 missiles were fired from Iran to Iraq this week as well. It was 
uh, possibly targeted at some of the U.S. locations or things nearby or meant to send, send a signal. We know that there are test firings going on right now on the North Korea and South Korean border. We got to be careful there. We also know our, our friends in China. Uh, some of them have an idea of what they may want to do in their government. And there's a lot to pray about. Can I get an amen for that? If your prayer life right now is weak, this is not the time for that. This is a time where we buckle down, we, we fight on our knees, we fight in prayer in the heavenlies, and we call down the will of God, and we listen for what God would have us do in those moments when his will is being unfolded. Because we each have a role to play. As God's will is unfolding, you have a role to play in it. It's not that God is over there doing his thing and you're, you're just sitting on the bench. That's not how this kingdom works. So let's look at the word of God tonight in light of this uh, poem festival. And I just want to thank and honor Yael for doing such a great Megillah reading and telling and summary. Uh, couldn't have done it better. So can we just thank Yael one more time? I don't know that there's a better reader than you or presenter than you. Thank you. So we're going to tag team this sermon because you laid the, the groundwork for me, so I don't have to do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, a few pieces of God's motivation. If you have your Bibles, we're in Esther, uh, Esther chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Esther 1, 1 through 4. That's going to be our opening text tonight. Esther 1. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa, and in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Medea, the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. So just in case you're not familiar with that part of the world, we have a little map we could put on the, the board. Guys, do we have that? Uh, just kind of take a look at this really quickly. This is how big the Persian Empire is, down to Egypt and Libya, the northern part of Saudi Arabia, all the way out. That Persian Empire goes to India, you know, in, in, the, in the east, Look how high it starts to go up to the Caspian Sea, to the Black Sea, over into Greece. Of course, it encompasses the Middle East as well. This is a vast kingdom. This fella, this guy, is a powerful guy. He commands millions upon millions. And God is going to use his life for God's glory. Now, he thinks he's going to rule this for his glory, for his own self-centered glory, but God's going to use it. If you're not familiar with these stories, <clears throat> we're going to give you just a couple of snippets along the way, but Yael really laid the groundwork for us already. Some of your texts are going to say the word Xerxes. Xerxes the first, actually. He reigned from 486 to 465 BC. Some of you use the term BCE. Okay, if you use that term, that's fine. I tend to try to keep Yeshua involved in these things. I'm old school that way. Achashvorosh is, if you, in your Hebrew Bible, when you read, that's his name in the Hebrew Bible. And it's in his third year 
So he's still quite young in his leadership. He reigns 21 years, but in his third year, he throws this massive party, 180 days. He's doing it to display his wealth, of his kingdom. The palace is decorated extravagantly. It was actually part of their custom to decorate their palaces when they're doing such parties. And sometimes the decorations would last and become legendary. You've read about them in your history books, I'm, I'm sure. During the end of this 180 days, he gives a special banquet, a seven-day-long banquet. That is my kind of banquet. I think they were going through... If you've ever been to Disney World, there is a section of Disney World called Epcot Center. And Epcot is known for its food from around the world. I'm just recommending that. And you can do that for seven days. You can feel like you're part of the king's banquet. Get a taste of every nation. Maybe that's what he's doing. But he's giving this banquet. But listen, at this particular banquet, this is not like the rest of the party where there's nobles and princes. At the banquet, he invites anyone, great and small, anyone from the city or anybody who wants to walk, drive in, ride a donkey, however they want to get there, they're welcome to come in and partake of this banquet. Now, we know that from the reading, there are several amazing accounts of God's favor and his rescue of his people through this book. Esther, or her Jewish name, Hadassah. She is later chosen as the queen, although for a while she's hiding her Jewish identity and her Jewish family line. If there's anybody new in the congregation tonight that you've never heard of this festival of Purim, maybe you've never really tapped in and connected with the book of Esther, maybe you don't know what the costumes are all about, that's what they're about. It was about hiding the Jewish identity for a little while and then later making it known. I also feel like I'm obliged to say that if anybody is new in the house and you've never been part of the Purim reading before, we're we're not a rude congregation. We we don't heckle one another when we read. They weren't heckling Yael. What they were doing was traditionally, when we we get into the book of Esther, when you say her name, you, you make a beautiful sound like, oh, or you whistle, she's so pretty. And when you say Mordecai, of course, he's the hero. We say, yay, and we cheer. And when we say Haman, he's the villain of the story, we say, boo, he's bad. And then only the veterans in the group know the right moment because there's always a crisscrossing at the end of the story. You're supposed to say yay to Mordecai, but there's a part of the story that says, and they went to kill Mordecai. And everybody that's not educated in the Jewish ways, they say, yay, So you got to be a veteran to catch that. And then later it says, oh, and after the king realizes the corruption of Haman, he puts Haman in prison. He's going to behead Haman. And that's a good part of the story. But since his name was mentioned, he says, we're going to behead Haman. Everybody goes, oh, boo. And get crisscrossed. Be careful. If this was your first time next year, stay on point. Stay focused. Cheer and boo at the right times. Mordecai helped save the king's life. He was promoted to a high-ranking official. Esther is now the queen. They both are given wisdom and courage to intercede for the Jewish people's safety against the wicked Haman. The Lord moved on the heart of the king later to issue the orders 
that allowed the Jewish people to defend themselves. Remember this, he never took away his original order that they could be killed because that would have violated another one of his laws. But he did make a new decree that they could defend themselves and their friends could defend them as well. And God breaks through in this way. And as we look at the main story of the deliverance of the Jewish people through Esther and Mordecai, I want to take a few minutes to trace our way back to where and why all of this started. I'm calling tonight's message the instigator principle. I want to talk about the instigator principle. Now, I don't know if that's a term you've heard before or if it's a term I just made up. Maybe it is. Sometimes I do make up things like that. As a parent, I give myself freedom to do it. Because where it came from, it came from an interaction that happens quite often between my children. Okay? Anybody have children in the house that they've been sent out? I can see your relief. You're smiling. You're like, Pastor Chad, thanks for sending those kids out. In my family, and we have four kids, inevitably, we're not going to get through a day without being some form of friction between the children, okay? It's just a rule. has to happen, apparently. Doesn't matter what they're, they're, they're playing or what they want to do as an activity, there will be some friction. And inevitably, somebody in the friction conversation loses their cool. Come on, Pastor Ray, you know what I'm talking about. And then somebody loses their cool, and instead of exercising fruit of the spirit of self-control, somebody's going to lash out. They're going to say something rude, something mean, something they're not allowed to say, or possibly it even gets physical. Somebody gets pushed, somebody gets poked, somebody gets hit. Sometimes things get thrown just so they can say, I didn't hit them. The book hit them. All by itself, the book was laying there and the book decided it wanted to fly. Sounds like evolution to me. And I have to go in and we all have different parenting styles. I have a parenting style that's pretty straightforward. It's slightly sarcastic, but it's very humorous. I think my wife likes to watch me discipline the kids because it can get funny. So I go in there after the, the ruckus has happened and I... I care about the retaliation, I do. Because inevitably when one gets hit, then the other one's gonna retaliate. I care about the retaliation, they're gonna get in trouble. But I care more about the instigator. Because in my family, what we say is, God, and this is how I go into it. Y'all can judge me all you want, this is how it works. I go into a situation and I say, okay, a few minutes ago there was peace in this room. And then something happened and there wasn't peace anymore. So whoever did the thing that stopped peace from being in this room, I want to know who did it and what it was. And they tell me the sides of the story. Everybody's, well, they did and he said and then he poked and then th she threw and then he kicked and then, then there, it was an all, all out, you know, WWE out there. They're wrestling now. I say, there was peace and now there's not peace. Who made us not have peace? I want to know that person. Because in my family, the instigator gets a bigger punishment than the retaliator. Ah, that was a little nugget for you parents right there. So in my family, the kids, they want to be really cautious to not be considered the instigator. They don't want to cross that line. But in the Bible, we have an instigator. Listen to Esther 
1 verse 4. For a full 180 days, the king displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. The king was showing off. There was nothing necessarily wrong at that moment, except that the king decided to display his pride and show off his wealth, his power, his accomplishments, his position. He was certainly not giving God any glory for what he had given him. Of course, that goes against things like James chapter 117. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. We know God sets every leader in place. And he wasn't giving God glory. He was flexing his, pri his prideful muscles. Then there was more that the king wanted to show off. If you jump down to chapter one, verse 10, it says, and on the seventh day, this is of the banquet, when King Ahasuerus was in high spirits from wine, he commanded seven eunuchs to serve him. And he told them to bring him, Queen Vashti, wearing her royal robe and crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. You see, the king wanted to show his wife's beauty off. Again, pride, using Vashti as a trophy. He wasn't simply admiring his wife. He wasn't honoring and respecting her. He was showing her off. It was a trophy to him. It was one more piece of his pride. There was peace, and then there was pride. And pride starts to disrupt the story. Pride starts to set off a series of events, an unraveling series of events. Of course, his pride leads to Vashti's rebellion, then later to her removal. That led to Queen Esther uh, coming into the scene and being chosen to be the next queen. Now, we can certainly see God's hand in all of this because even though it's unraveling, God has a way of getting inside of it and making the plan work for his good. Just like when Pharaoh in Egypt was beating and enslaving the Jewish people, that's not a good thing, and that's the instigator. But God was able to use that moment to get in for his own glory, for his own deliverance. God has made it clear, though, friends, in the scriptures, as we get to a lesson point, that God cares about the cause of a problem. He doesn't only care about that there is a problem. He doesn't only care about what do we do inside the problem. He cares about the cause of the problem. This comes up in Luke chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. Yeshua said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. That's the instigator principle. God would say tonight, I care about why things happen. I care about the why in your heart. I care about the, the fact that there was a peaceful situation and then we did something to dis disrupt it. Let's not blame the people that we disrupted. Let's work on the why in our heart. Why are we doing the things we're doing? Why are we flexing pride muscles that, that we've attained so much? Of, we've had this position or this, this raise or this, this uh, promotion or we have this house or we have this car, this whatever it is that we've got or this name or fame or whatever it is. Can we not see that God is the one who gives all good gifts? Give him the glory that he deserves. 
And of course, the pride doesn't stop only with the king. It moves on to Haman as well because he certainly learned it from his king. And Haman's pride creates a whole other problem. He's another instigator. Esther chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. You see, friends, this is not simply wanting to keep order. He wasn't just keeping rules and order, follow the law. His pride was hurt. He didn't get honored the way he thought he should have been honored. And that pride became the instigator of the next saga plot of this story. He wasn't just going to punish Mordecai. He was going to punish all of Mordecai's people. And as we work our way back to the cause and the root of these parts of the story, we find ourselves at these moments of pride of the king and of Haman. We see the instigators. It leads to a lot of things that are good parts of the story and, and difficult parts of the story. His pride instigates the plot to kill the Jews, and the plot to kill the Jews leads to the intercession before the king, which has then led to the uncovering of Haman's plot. In essence, he was going to kill the queen, which led to Haman's desperation to go talk to the queen. And when he was in desperation to talk to the queen, he grabbed her. And then when he grabbed her, the king saw that and thought he was making a move on the queen. That led to his arrest, his trial, and later his execution and that of his family. It was the pride of Haman that killed his family. Do you understand? How far that pride will go if you leave it unchecked and unrepented for. Pride instigates a lot of things. Pride is what instigated Lucifer to do the things that he did against our precious Heavenly Father. And look how long his prideful instigation is still impacting this world. And God cares about the cause. You know, we're, we're saddened that we know unbelievers will not get to spend eternity with the Lord. But woe to the ones who cause them to not believe. There's something more harsh coming for the instigators. Now, we're dealing with motives here. These motive issues of both the king and of Haman, their motive was pride and the unraveling of the events. But what were the motives of Mordecai and Esther? Listen, Mordecai and Esther are trying to preserve life throughout the whole story. You say, well, Pastor Chad, I don't know. That seems a little bit biased. You know, as a Messianic Jewish community, you live in Israel, and of course, you would side on the side of saving the Jews, but Esther was Jewish, and Mordecai was Jewish, so of course, they should have tried to save their own people. That doesn't seem that noble. Well, let me go one step further with you about the preservation of life, because it was instilled in them from their parents. It's part of the Torah. Do you remember when there was a plot to kill the king? The king's not Jewish. The king is actually their captor. The king is the one who has taken them captive. He's kept them from being free. And in the moment where Mordecai could have let hit the one who imprisoned him be killed, maybe it would let the Jewish people be free. He could have had that thought. 
It goes much further than just saving the Jewish people. There was a preservation of life motive in Mordecai that he didn't want to see the, ki the king killed, even though that was the king that kept him in cap captivity. Now, that's a true heart of God right there. Mordecai and Esther, their motive isn't pride. It's to preserve life. But the king and Haman, their motive is pride. Look at me. Look what I've done. The banquet of the king lasts for seven days to continue to display the wealth, the power, the reach of the kingdom, showing off his queen, his authority, all of the self-focused efforts. And I started to think how the king was using his banquet versus how our king, Yeshua, uses his banquets and how different the motives are. Real quickly, I'll run you through a couple of them. Do you remember the meal on Mount Sinai between Yeshua, the Spirit of God in Yeshua, and the 70 elders? Let me read it to you, Exodus 24, 9 through 11. Moses and Aaron, Nadav and Avihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel, and under his feet was something like a pavement made of, some of your Bibles will say lapis lazuli, some will say blue sapphire as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders or the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and they drank. They saw God, they ate and they drank a covenant meal with God. This is God's kind of banquet. Now, what is his motive to display his power and his might and his pride and his authority? No, when God gives a banquet, it's to bring you into his family. It's to say, you're part of what I'm doing. Let me offer a covenant meal with you. Put that picture up there, team, of that blue sapphire. Just in case you, you've never seen it before. Look at that. That is the lapis. That's the blue sapphire. That's the actual stone that they saw Yeshua standing on when he appeared to the 70 elders. Can you imagine what this is going to be like? Come on, guys. Have a, have a fun vision about what it's going to be like to be in the presence of God. Don't let this world drag you down. There's a lot of bad news out there. But you know, there's a lot of good news too. And this is what they see under Yeshua's feet. God is making covenant with his people at his banquet. Now, I know we're in the festival of Poim and it's gonna be a lot of fun with the, the hamantashen, uh, the ozne haman, the cakes that we make and the triangles and uh, lots of uh, games we play and the costumes and the parties. And I don't want to overlook Purim, but I do want to jump to Passover just about a month away, get ready for Pesach. But it's another meal. It's another banquet, if you will. In the, in the original Passover, listen to what it says, Exodus 12, 26. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony of the Passover mean? Then you should tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians then the people bowed down and worshiped. You see, Passover is a covenant meal. Just like the meal on Sinai, when God gives a banquet, it's about an invitation to join the covenant family. We can fast forward to Yeshua's final Passover on earth, Matthew 26, 28. This is the blood of the covenant, he said, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, in Yeshua's banquet, he was still talking about covenant. This is a covenant moment for us very different than Ahasuerus and what he was doing at his banquet. 
And again, the, the meal's covenant becomes the central point. We can look to the parable of Yeshua, the wedding supper, Luke 14, 15. When one of those at the table with Yeshua heard him talk, he said of Yeshua, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Luke goes on later to explain that it's the feast, it's the banquet that he's inviting everyone to join because God wants to make covenant with us. And finally, regarding this wedding supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, verse 9. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. You see, these wedding moments, these supper moments, these banquet moments of God, unlike Ahasuerus, they're a culmination of the invitation of salvation and those who have entered into the covenant relationship and covenant family of God. You see, guys, motives are important to God. The cause is important to God. It's not just that the things happened. It's why they happened. It's not just that Yeshua died. It's why he died. It's not just that you were created. It's why were you created. God cares about the why in our life. God cares about the instigator principle. You say, well, then why did God create the world? And I've gone over this many times, but maybe one day we'll write a book about it. Because maybe it's the biggest why there ever was. Why are we here? Why did he do this? What? Because he's trying to give things to you. It's a very different motive than the kings of the earth. Trying to get, trying to hold on, trying to expand their own territory, trying to increase their control. Going into other countries to increase their control. And yet here's God who creates you, who creates me, who creates the universe, and all he's trying to do is get you to come close to him so that he can teach you how to rule and reign with him, trying to give the kingdom away. Very different motive. Motives are important to God. Proverbs 16, verse 2. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. The kings and leaders of this world have motives that are very different from our God. Let me give you this key phrase tonight. It is important, friends, that we do not superimpose worldly leaders' motives on God. God's ways are different than our ways, and they're different than the worldly leaders' ways. Do not take what you see from the worldly leaders and pretend that's what God is like. He's not. In many ways, he's the direct opposite of that. When he calls a banquet, it's to bring you into a covenant relationship, to give you something it's not to display his wealth and to show off his power. It's not a self-centered focus. It's, it's a give-it-away focus. It's a give-away life, give-away love focus. 
our final scripture tonight. Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Listen. The people of Israel, the Jewish people had been exiled because of their disobedience, right? That's the instigator. We became the instigator of our own judgment. Now, certainly there might have been some that led us into these pagan ways, but ultimately we had to take responsibility for what we chose to do and what we chose to teach our children. But through all of that and all of those trials and we get taken into exile, we find ourselves in the book of Esther with all the contemporaries of the prophetic writings right there. They all knew each other, you know, Esther and Mordecai and Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and all the, the folks that were part of that, that circle in those days. And they found themselves in a foreign land where they didn't want to be because nations were raging against nations and the leaders were not acting with God's motive. And I know that that story seems very old, but can you just agree with me today? It's not that far off. It's happening again. It probably never stopped happening. And even when we talk about this particular kingdom of Persia, it's happening again today in the same area of the world. I mean, many of us understand, and, and this is not a political moment, but I think you, by now, if there's a sense of discernment, you're, you're kind of getting it, right? There's, there's certain countries that want to align themselves together so that they can then go take over other countries. Are you getting this? This is what's happening right now in the world, and the same areas of the world are involved, that they were involved in the map I showed you. I showed you that map for a reason. A lot of the same parts of the world are involved again. And God was faithful to, to his people then. He's faithful to his people now. God established us here in the land of Israel on a covenant promise. You have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. We're going to take a moment as we close to have some time of corporate prayer. We're going to be praying for the situation in the Ukraine and, and, and between Russia and of course Iran has now gotten involved and we know China's involvement and, and all that that's stirring up, that, that instigation. And I'm not saying they're alone in the instigation. There's a lot of history. If you go back and learn the history, go, go back to the end of World War II and the difference between NATO and the Warsaw Pact and how it's all played out. I'm not a political uh, major, but I understand enough to know that this isn't coming out of the blue. But before we pray for the Ukrainians right now, I want to just give you a quick update and say thank you to everybody in the house. Thank you, everyone watching online. You've helped us out in a tremendous way because what we did is we felt like the Lord had us commit to help the new Jewish Ukrainian immigrants that were coming into Israel. We're going to see a major wave of them. Two and a half million refugees have already left the Ukraine out of 44 million people. We know that 200,000 Ukrainians are eligible for Aliyah. Can you imagine the Lord sending us the gift of 200,000 Ukrainians? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? I'm not sure what our traffic would be like, but 
was pretty bad on the way here. What we've been told is the first wave of 10,000 is now being processed. And through your help, through your love gifts, we've been able to already secure five distribution locations and we're already serving the families that have arrived. Some of them are arriving in host homes, so thank you. They're being, the packages are already being delivered. We've already served a lot of them. Some of them are being delivered to the host hotels where they're staying. So thank you for your help with that. Thank you for those of you that came early and helped to distribute and pack the boxes up. I see you, Tina. Thank you so much for being here tonight and Katie and others. Thank you for coming early to help us do that. We have a partner in the army. We have a partner in the social services. We have a partner at the, the Miserata Clita, the uh, Ministry of Absorption. And in every way, when they tell us a new family has arrived and where they're staying, we get permission to bring them a list of things they've asked for, whatever they want. And when we don't have it in the, in the distribution centers around Israel that are part of the King of Kings family, if we don't have it in those distribution centers, the money you've given goes directly to buy the things we don't have to put in those boxes and we take it to the Ukrainian families that have arrived. King of Kings, great job. You did great. You're doing great. Thank you so much. The final piece of that puzzle that I want to say thank you for, and we need your prayers, is we have some partners inside the Ukraine right now. They need a few more vans. Let me tell you why they need vans. Because there are some people inside the Ukraine who are sick or disabled, a little bit elderly, maybe they, they're not mobile, they cannot get out. And all of the resources from around the world, all the humanitarian aid that has been so helpful, most of it is stuck at the Polish border. And the people in the Ukraine can't get to it. And they can't get the supplies in. And yet we've got partners on the ground right now, faithful pastors and elders. I just want to mention out loud to honor them, Stuart and Chantal Winograd, who are there right now with multiple vans. And what they're doing is they're shuttling supplies in the Ukraine, and then they're emptying the van, and they're putting people who can't travel into the van, and they're driving them out of the country. And they're doing this all day long with a team, back and forth. We've been asked as King of Kings to participate in that financially so we can send them a gift to get another van. If that's something on your heart today, just go to the website, give a gift. All it has to say is Ukrainian help. That's all it has to say. And we know what you mean. We're going to put it toward all these supplies, possibly how we can help with the van, okay? So thank you, King of Kings, all of you friends around the world as well. Thank you so much. Can I ask you to stand to your feet as we pray corporately? I'm gonna ask you just to close your eyes. Make sure you're in front of God's throne in his presence. Heavenly Father, we want your heart today. As we read in the story, as we looked at these, these moments, we know that there's an important step to take and that is to check our motives even when we pray. Let us have your heart today. Father, we want your heart for the Ukrainian people. And Father, we want your heart for the Russian people today. We want your heart for the Chinese. We want your heart for the Iranians. We want your heart for the North Koreans. We want your heart for the Taiwanese people, for the South Koreans, for the Iraqi people. Father, we want your heart. We pray according to your will today. 
we know that you have a plan. Just like you did in Egypt, just like you did in Susa, God, you have a plan. Forgive us for being nervous. Forgive us for thinking you weren't in control. Forgive us, God. We trust you today. You've never failed. You've never broken covenant. Never has there been a word spoken out of your mouth that didn't come to pass. We trust you. We tell our flesh to die today. We command our soul and spirit to rise and trust the Lord. And Father, wherever you tell us to help, we commit to help. Here in Israel, on the ground, the distribution centers, the feeding centers, the manna kitchen, the prayer tower, in the small groups, deliveries, packages, sending money, prayer, however you say to help, we commit to help today. We want to be part of your will. And finally, Lord, forgive us for sitting on the sidelines as if there's nothing we can do. As if there's a war out there somewhere that we're not a part of. We say that's not true. There is a war that we are part of. That when we got saved in the name of Yeshua, he handed us a sword and he gave us armor and he gave us a blueprint of the strategy. He says that we fight in the heavenlies. There's a battle we are supposed to be engaged in today. Forgive us for putting ourselves on the sidelines because you didn't do that. We did that. Most likely out of self-centeredness. Forgive us. God, inspire us in these moments. Holy Spirit, come. Pour out your giftings. As we've been studying through the book of Joel, it says, and afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Father, we receive your gift of the Holy Spirit in greater measure today as we get out of your way. We receive dreams and visions. We receive words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Father, we receive your power today because we were never created or expected to do your will and your commission without power. And we need it today. Help us in these trying times. Yes, they're difficult, but God, you are so much greater. And we thank you for that in Yeshua's name. Amen.